Welcome to the Apollo 13 Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we're going to go over every minute of the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry, uh, EAA, uh, the Experimental Aircraft Association uh, Museum Coordinator. Right up there in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Chris, this is very exciting. I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm so I'm, I'm my hands are almost sweating. It's just it's, <laughs> I know, this, right? Like we're actually flying the mission. Yeah, this this is uh <laughs> this is one of my favorite movies, and it's one of those movies that uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's anytime it's on TV. Well, there there goes the rest of your evening because you're gonna sit down <laughs> sit down and watch it right through minute one forty. It's uh it's such a great film. It has such rewatchability. Um, there's so many details, especially for um space nuts like you and me. You can just sit and, and nod and point and well we're going to do that so get, get ready uh wow well, well chris maybe we should talk a little bit about our backgrounds so we can have kind of our bona fides out and b- people understand that we're not being casual about this thing i, I think one what this is going to be a little bit different from other movies by minute uh minutes is that our shows is that we're probably not going to be talking on the novice level of this, I think we're going to really get into the nuts and bolts of it, both because uh, we love it very much and we know that a lot of our listeners are probably at the same level of uh, mania. Um, so, Chris, let's talk about you, let's talk about your background in uh, in aviation and aeronautics. Um, sure. Um, so my background was I uh, went to uh, school for pilot training and air traffic control, um, worked uh, for the airlines. Uh, then worked for on uh, medical helicopters in Pittsburgh, and then uh, also did uh, vintage aircraft restoration, um, and then went on to uh, become an air traffic controller. Uh, worked two different facilities as an air traffic controller, and then come to work at the Experimental Aircraft Association um, here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, home of the one of the world's largest air shows, of course. Um, and as in the course of doing that, I've actually had the chance to. Uh, uh, work and and kind of get to know some of the uh, the astronauts. Yeah, and and you you focused a lot on astronautics at the uh, at the EAA's museum there. I know you've you've put on absolutely. A, here we are in the fiftieth year uh, since the moon landing, and I know that that you worked uh, heavily on on curating and getting the uh, getting the fiftieth anniversary um, uh, uh, exhibits together. Absolutely, we actually had uh, some exhibits in the museum on the Apollo program. Worked with NASA. Um, uh, directly to get those. Um, got to work with uh, actually reuniting uh, uh, Apollo astronauts together uh, on stage and off stage, which was pretty amazing. Also, every October, a little shameless plug for our museum, uh, we do something called Space Day, where we get young kids out and interested in aviation and in aerospace, teach them about space flight. We have different activities throughout the day, and then usually we end the day with a keynote speaker that typically is an astronaut or somebody heavily involved in, in NASA or the space program. Wow. Yeah, very, very exciting work. And the EAA has such a, a strong educational component to it. I think it, they really are uh, uh, inspiring and uh, helping people, you know, young kids uh, find their way in uh, aviation and aeronautics and astronautics. Um, it's second only to space camp, I think, in terms, in terms of getting people interested in looking up. 
So absolutely, that's that's what we like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> we like to, uh, you know, how many air museums can you go to? And then uh, literally out back, there's a runway, and they can take you flying for your first flight. Yeah, my uh, my son's first uh, flight in the general aviation aircraft uh, was through the Young Eagles program, and uh, he got to oh, go that's up, fantastic. He got to go up in a Mooney, and uh, I, I don't think he ever he ever looked back. That was you know a really bit bit of exciting for him soloing later at 16, and it it you know it it's such a it's such a great program that I know, I know, kids who were kids when my son was a kid that got involved in that that are now <laughs> flying around the country for uh, you know for for pay even sometimes. Oh <laughs> yeah, a lot of times yeah. it's just you know it's a great hobby as well. Um, absolutely, absolutely. It, it it really it makes it easy to go to work when you do something you love, and you know you get to do cool things while you're there. I, it, you know, they always my dad always told me get a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, no, that, that definitely definitely true. Um, my my own background, I worked. Uh, well, I'm I'm old, so <laughs> I, no, come I, on now. Yeah, well, I, my part of part of this is that I remember the time of Apollo 13, and uh, a, a wow. lot of my interest in this. When I was a kid, I used to collect, use National, you know, go to the old bookstores and, and collect National Geographic's cop, you know, get every copy I could that had anything related to space. Um, anytime there was a book report, it would be <laughs> something involving, you know, a biography <laughs> of Scott Crossfield or something. And, uh, I'd write to, uh, I'd write to NASA and ask them for, um, eight by 10 pictures and, and, uh, you know, little project folders of what was going on with Ranger and, uh, and Surveyor and things like that. Uh, it was very much a space nerdy childhood. Um, my folks used to take me to, uh, uh Cape Kennedy at the time. <laughs> We we'd go down to Cocoa Beach in Cape Kennedy, and uh, uh, I saw Gemini Twelve launch. I actually lost my front tooth. My, my my front tooth. My mom was working on getting my front tooth out. Yeah, my loose front tooth when I was when I was six, <laughs> and I watched I watched over her shoulder as, as Gemini Twelve was on was on the pad. Uh, we were oh my out there at what's now Jetty Park. And uh, I saw Gemini 12 launch. So uh, if we do get to talk to Jim Lovell sometime in this group, I'm going to tell him, I was watching you and I lost a tooth. So uh, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> and then the, uh, yeah, a couple of years went by. In, uh, in May of 1969, I saw Apollo 10. And, uh, and then in uh, one wintry night in 1972, I got to watch the only night launch of, uh, of a Saturn V. I saw Apollo, uh, I saw Apollo 17. Wow. From from the J.C. Penney's parking lot in Titusville, Florida, well, right across the Indian River, uh, I, my brain is it, it will be the last memory I will have will be watching that that Saturn V going up in the sky and turning the nighttime of Titusville into solid daytime. It was uh, an, wow. un, an unforgettable experience, and um, you know I I hope to see that again someday. Somebody. Going to the moon. Uh, unfortunately, J.C. Penney's is now long gone. They closed them. They closed <laughs> them all. But uh, I'll, I'll stand in an empty parking lot if need be to, to see wow. uh, another launch like that. That um, is really quite cool. And imagine, you know, for me, uh, you know, I was born in 1980, so it's hard to even imagine seeing a Saturn V launch, let alone you know, seeing one launch at night. That had to be just something else. Yeah, you know, they they say it's indescribable, but it, it really. It, the, the only way to describe it is if you imagine somebody shining um, uh, a, uh, a high beam light from a from a truck about a foot from your face, while somebody is pounding their fists on your chest. That's about as close as it comes to the feeling. It was 
it was in insanely bright light and but the feeling you didn't you didn't hear it you felt it you felt it more than more than hearing it. wow it rumble the kind of rumble that you hear just like when uh when there's a thunderstorm and it hasn't you haven't seen any lightning yet but you just hear that r- rumble that's that rumble if you just crank it up to about 11 that's what it felt like at least to a 12 year old kid standing wow. standing on a standing on a cold florida night um <laughs> And uh, I'll tell I'll tell other stories about my uh, my days at the Cape and <laughs> Cocoa Beach, but that was uh, that put the hook in me. I uh, I really wow. uh, I I enjoyed being being part of that history, being able to see all that, and uh, you know I carried it through the shuttle days. I would you know my my kids would go and see the shuttle launches, and um, uh, my wife and I would go down and watch. I, she's long suffering, but she she did get to enjoy sitting at uh, Rotary Park in uh, Titusville and watching the the shuttles go up. And we get to explain to uh, newcomers which one of those little towers was where the shuttle was <laughs> across across the river. <laughs> and uh, anybody anybody that's been to the that's been to the Cape and been to Merritt Island knows knows the drill of uh, being able to help other people enjoy it. And 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 ah, that's cool. And, that's too cool. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it again now that uh, we're in the age of SpaceX. I really want to. I haven't seen a, a a Falcon 9 landing, but I would love to see that again. That that. Uh, for the, I mean, I love that. That's the thing I haven't done yet. But I would love to see uh, a Falcon Nine launch or landing live. Oh yeah, it almost it looks something right out of a sci-fi comic book. Or something. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just crazy, and it's you know it's good to know that even though like this all this stuff here that we're watching in the past, there's there's a whole new world coming, and we'll be we'll be having people on that are going to be talking about the present and the future of space flight and space exploration. So uh, so something to look forward to while, while we're doing this. Um, in my my educational background, I have a bachelor's degree in radio, television, film. Which uh, they don't they don't do radio anymore. Nobody watches TV, and they don't make movies on film. So <laughs> I, I went into uh, uh, information technology and went to work for a British Aerospace, and uh, got to got to work in um, got to work in England where uh, they would roll uh, Harriers out onto the uh, they 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 put uh, wire wraps into one building and there would ha- harriers would pop out the other side of the building. <laughs> so that was uh, an exciting time for me. I got to get to work with wow. a lot of aviation stuff. Um, I watched them put together tornadoes, um, uh, 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 you know, and uh, all the, uh, all the, the planes that British aerospace couldn't sell like the one, four, six and the RJ seventies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're, they're very dear to me. And I know that they're being used now by Airbus to uh, create electric flight. So we'll, we'll talk about that too in the future. But, uh, but that was my, uh, my aerospace career. And, uh, then I, I wound up with a master's degree in, uh, space studies, uh, and was taught by several astronauts. Hopefully we can have a couple of them on to talk about how to learn about space. If you're, if you're interested in learning and, and advancing your, your uh, education about uh, astronautics and aeronautics, we can, we can talk about that too. But uh, let, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about Apollo 13. And, that sounds good. Yeah, and uh, we're going we're gonna to start with the very first second of this, which is the beautiful um, uh, Universal logo, that new logo that had been developed in 1991. And uh, it replaced the old static uh, Universal thing, or just a Universal and MCA company underneath it. Um, and we hear those those amazing drums of, uh, of James Horner's theme. Uh, oh yeah, which is kind of ironic because at the time in 1991, when they had when they had created this new Universal opening that we're seeing, James Horner wrote the uh, wrote the Universal theme music, which has been <laughs> wiped oh, out. Oh wow, here. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's he's overwriting himself. 
<laughs> I got to tell you that the, the drum beats, uh, I went, uh, what was it about a year ago or so I went down to, um, see one of the Saturn fives. Um, and the one that, that's at, uh, uh, was it Huntsville? Huntsville, yeah. And it's in its own building, you know, it's been restored and you have to take this elevator up to the floor that it's on. And, um, I literally like got in the elevator, went up the elevator, the doors open. I took two steps out and you're looking at the engines yeah. of the Saturn V and they have music playing in the hangar. And literally that's what started playing. Wow. Um, what, a, was, what an introduction. <laughs> oh, it, I mean, it, I remember that just, you know, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is just surreal. And if, if you've ever seen a Saturn V, you know how big those, those engines are. I mean, it, uh. Yeah. It was something else. It was it, quite an introduction. <laughs> it's flabbergasting. I, one of my favorite introductions to the Saturn V is at uh, is at uh, Kennedy Kennedy Space Center. They have the Apollo Saturn V Center where they take you through the launch of Apollo Eight, and it's narrated by Jim Lovell. And at the end, what they they simulate the launch, and you feel the whole building kind of rocking while, yeah. while the launch is going on. And uh, Jim Lovell says that uh, he he said he would return to the moon on another mission, but and then he just looks at the camera and says, "But that's another story." But why don't you go through these doors and you can see uh, one of these uh, uh, rockets that we took to the moon? And my favorite part in the entire tour, when you go to the Apollo Saturn V Center, is watching the next group of people coming out the doors and getting their first view of the Saturn V. Because, yeah, I mean, any any kid that is you know tired of walking around and following mom and dad looking at rockets, they are gobsmacked <laughs> when they see the <laughs> so, the scope. The scale is just you can just see the mind snap. It just, oh, yeah. it's an amazing feeling. And, uh, it's very, uh, very humbling to think that this is something that somebody would, you know, three people would climb 365 <laughs> feet away from those engines you're looking at and get into a little, a little tiny capsule and head out a quarter million miles into space. Well, and it's amazing that, you know, for, uh, even now 50 years later, the Saturn V is still, uh, the most complex machine ever built by man. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, when we went from rockets that just uh, were basically modified ICBMs to suddenly this monster that stood, you know, 35 stories tall. Yeah. Um, it's it's if you've never seen one, it's hard to explain. It really is. And and um, and then, you know, to see it, how it stages, you know, how the stages break down. And um, what was amazing to me was uh, my daughter pointed out, she said, you know, all of this stuff, this whole big, tall rocket launches but only that small capsule on the top comes back, yeah. you know, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. That, that's a very small, you know, percentage of this thing that's actually going to come back. But, uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing machine. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And, uh, and those drum beats in the movie, uh, certainly gave a nice intro into coming into that building. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, uh, a, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, if, if, if you haven't been to see a Saturn V, there's there's three of them in the country. So if you want to go, get out to uh, Kennedy Space Center in Florida or in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, and at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center or at, at Johnson Space Center has a, has a nice one that's finally gotten indoors. I was kind of worried yeah. about that one a couple of years back. I'd seen it and it was not too good shape. But uh, yeah, was, I was down it recently. They did a nice job on it. Yeah, um, yeah. it's indoors. It's been restored. Plus, you can go to Mission Control while you're down there. Yes. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the movie portion of this. The um, 
we, we saw Universal, which was an MCA company at the time. What that was was Music Corporation of America. Um, a fellow named Lou Wasserman joined in 1936. He worked for MCA and decided to uh, – he started a, the talent agency, the talent agency called MCA. And what happened was the talent needed places to work, and they wound up getting into um, – <laughs> Getting into the studio that was uh, that was kind of failing, he, uh, uh, Wasserman became part of Universal, and uh, it was a talent agency that ran a film studio. So wow! Uh, every time you see an MCA, is like basically um, there's a story about. Uh, I mean, there, there's a there's a story about how the shuttle uh, kind of the, the reason that they built the space station was so that the shuttle would have a place to go, and the station the the uh, shuttle was built to build a space station. So this one, it was uh, Lou Wasserman uh, ran MCA uh, and hired actors. So that, and then he had to make movies. So he got the film studio <laughs> to have a place for the actors to work. And uh, uh, <laughs> that's wild. And uh, Lou Wasserman got into uh, a lot of television stuff and uh, started making a lot of TV uh, shows and uh, then bought a piece of NBC, and uh, NBC wound up with uh, uh, turning around and buying Universal right back at them. So it's kind of like Disney Disney made movies, uh, <laughs> and then ABC bought some of their movies, and then Disney wound up buying ABC. Well, Universal wound up being purchased by uh, uh, NBC, and NBC, or in vice versa, they, they merged and formed uh, NBC Universal. So. Um, nowadays you'll see it and it'll be NBC universal on uh, the thing. Um, so we get our first title card comes up. We see, uh, imagine entertainment, imagine entertainment, of course, is Ron Howard, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, uh, Grazer got involved with Ron Howard when he made the 1982 film, uh, night shift. And then he made splash with a uh, Daryl Hannah. And that's, that's where Tom Hanks comes into this picture. So, um, you know, all these, these people, Brian Grazer and uh, Ron Howard and Tom Hanks, started making movies together. And uh, in 1986, uh, Imagine signed a, a a production deal with Universal, where uh, they had to make uh, they they Universal would fund 50 percent of 30 films. So uh, they made they made a bunch of different movies. Um, they made Parenthood, Backdraft, A Beautiful Mind, Eight Mile. Uh, da Vinci Code, um, Angels and Demons, Robin Hood, Cowboys and Aliens. All these movies are coming out of Imagine Entertainment. So they're quite a powerhouse, and they made a lot of movies for Universal. So both Universal and Imagine made a lot of money uh, <laughs> making these films. And wow. uh, this definitely was a, a big uh, a big film, uh, one of the tent poles for 1985 for, uh, for Universal. Oh, absolutely. This was uh, – I, I mean, this was huge. I remember – um, I, you know, I have a funny, actually a funny story for you. I had a gentleman who came to me and told me that, uh, the, how they found out about the Apollo 13 mission that had happened, um, was from the movie. And this was a gentleman that was alive during the Apollo program. And I'm like, well, how the heck would you have been alive and not realize this was going on? And he said, I was deployed to, uh, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. And he says, me and my wife didn't have a TV. We were out in the middle of the nowhere and we were out there for about a year or two. And then when I came back, you know, we somehow missed this and it was through the movie that we actually started researching that we had totally missed this event in our lives. 
Wow. And that uh, was because of the film that got us digging back into the history. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah, it, it's funny. When you talk with a lot of people, the, the only uh, when you talk with them about Apollo missions, they'll talk about uh, Apollo 13 because of this movie and Apollo 11 for landing on the moon. And then, of course, what we're, what we're going to be talking about next, which is Apollo 1. The, people know the fire, the moon landing, and, uh, and the accident in space. So yeah. um, it's uh, and I think some of it is because of this movie of knowing, you know, what what the stakes were at the time and what, you know, why there was cause for concern in going to the moon, that it wasn't the safest trip. It wasn't the easiest thing to do. It wasn't on a, on a straight line. Um, but we're uh, we're looking at the, fir- the first images that we're getting from the movie is uh, boots on uh, pad 34's gantry going across to the. Uh, uh, the pre-launch test uh, in January '67 for Apollo One. Yeah, that was. Uh, could you imagine, you know, crossing that historic gantry, suited up? Um, now, granted, they weren't going to fly it on this day, but they were going in for a test. But uh, that still had to be pretty exhilarating to go climb into the spacecraft. Yeah, yeah, they were um, getting close, and uh, you know, at the time we were, uh, it wasn't a general public. Thing, but there were a lot of problems with uh, with the ship itself, with the uh, schedule involved. Um, we hear Walter Cronkite's voice over here, um, which is going to turn in later. To it's going to sound like it's part of a, a television broadcast. But uh, Walter was kind enough to come in and uh, and do some opening narration, uh, even though it was going to be make it sound like it was part of the past. This was not this was not originally broadcast in 1969. But he talks about that. Uh, this was to fulfill uh, President Kennedy's goal of landing a man on the moon and returning him safety to the Earth before this decade is out. And uh, the clock was ticking. They were, you know, 1967, it, they, were, they were three weeks into 1960, almost four weeks into 1967, and they had um, 1967, 68, and 69 to get her done. So you've got a 1,000 days left. And... Um, everybody had that that kind of go fever to get to get stuff going even if stuff wasn't working or even if you know if they were cutting corners so um we're going to we're going to talk about that more this week um but it's just uh it, it it's it's one of those savage things that uh, you know that's happened in a lot of accidents where nothing's gone wrong yet so you figure well it can't go wrong and um well, that's just it. I mean, we we are coming off of two successful uh, programs. You know, both Mercury and Gemini, uh, extremely successful, and uh, we had nothing to think that Apollo would be any different. You know, I mean, we you know um, hadn't experienced anything quite like this. No, this was. I mean, this was completely out of the blue. Every every test had been done. You know, in a pure oxygen environment. And uh, there was no reason to believe that anything would go wrong. I mean, this this is so the 27th of January, uh, just the previous uh, November uh, November time frame was uh, Gemini 12. They just finished the Gemini program. I mean, it wasn't you know there were people that were still wrapping up the Gemini program while Apollo was going on. There were there are pictures of you. Uh, there's a rather famous picture of uh, Gemini 11 taking off. While in the background, you can see um, the Saturn V uh, test uh, test unit 500F uh, on the pad at 39A. So it's you know this this amazing overlap where you just had you just finished Gemini with 20 men in 20 months going into space. Um, 
there the scale was fast so they figured nothing nothing's wrong yet so but you know here we're going to have a, a very sharp comeuppance um, absolutely and uh i don't know if you want to you know talk about the crew that's involved at this point the the three astronauts yeah let, that... let, let's let's get into that i mean we we have we have uh two veterans and a and a rookie but let me let, me let you go on to that i've been babbling no absolutely so we had uh, uh of course uh, virgil I, Gus Grissom, nobody called him Virgil. And uh, Gus Grissom was a, one of the original seven astronauts, uh, flown Mercury and Gemini, and now Apollo. And, um, um, I mean, handpicked for this mission. And I think the fact that Gus was on this flight, it, it, it shatters a little bit of the story that, you know, that people didn't, uh, didn't uh, want Gus, you know, that after the... Uh, uh, the sinking of his spacecraft, you know, that, that he was blackballed by NASA. And, and that just wasn't the case. I mean, he flew again in Gemini. Uh, he, of course, uh, was selected to, to command the first Apollo mission. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, some people said that if, if things worked out differently, Gus might have been the first guy on the moon. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think, you know, this that's a clear mark for me that, that NASA certainly uh, trusted uh, Gus to continue flying. Um, with him was uh, Ed White. Uh, Ed White was a West Point man, uh, very, uh, of course, known for his Gemini flight where he uh, got out and, and was the first American to walk in space, do an EVA, him and Jim McDivitt. Um, actually asked Jim McDivitt about that mission, and uh, Jim just said uh, when Ed got out, it got very lonely in the spacecraft. <laughs> and... Uh, the um, and they were actually scheduled to do another EVA, but they didn't because uh, there was a mishap with one of the doors, and they were not sure about the door securing on that Gemini spacecraft. So they uh, they scrubbed the second EVA. Wow. Uh, never, I never knew that. I thought it was no, just I, kind of a one and out. Yeah, I, I uh, didn't. I didn't realize that. And then Roger Chaffee, uh, of course, uh, he was the, the sort of rookie of the gang, um, and I. I you know, I don't know, uh, admittedly, much about Roger Chaffee. Um, outside of the story that you always hear, I think it was in From the Earth to the Moon, about the fact that uh, he was on one of these tours and going through one of the factories, and he saw a group of guys standing in the corner, and he asked who those guys were, and they said they're the guys that make the parts for the machines that make the spacecraft. And nobody had ever really spent much time talking to them. It wasn't a glamorous position, but... Uh, he went over there and talked to them and made them feel like the most important part of, uh, of the space program. And, uh, you know, I've seen those guys, their ability to do just that. Uh, they're, they're pretty inspirational people. So I can imagine uh, being one of those at workers or one of those engineers and, um, you know, getting to spend some time with an astronaut and how that would feel. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they were all remarkable men. And like you said, these weren't the second string guys. These were, you know, these are top flight folks. Um, Gus Grissom, Design designing where he I mean he was he was the advisor they they called the Gemini the Gusmobile because he he designed That's where right. where the you know what the instrument panel was going to be looking like so that a pilot would feel at home in a Gemini because Mercury wasn't like that Mercury wasn't built by a pilot but but Gemini was definitely built you know pilot co pilot second in command that that kind of thing you had uh, um, uh, uh, backup backup instruments. And uh, everything was controllable from either side, so you could, 
uh, it, it was really a pilot's uh, ship. And um, oh yeah, yeah. I always liked uh, his name for the Gemini spacecraft. Um, of course, Gus named his Gemini spacecraft the Unsinkable Molly Brown, and yeah. uh, he, when he first was given the chance to name his spacecraft, uh, he named it. He, he asked for that name. Uh, that was due to the fact that his Mercury capsule uh, hatch uh, blew and sank into the bottom of the ocean and was recovered years later. And uh, NASA said no. NASA was really against it. And they said, pick another name. And he suggested Titanic 2. <laughs> and uh, they kind of went back and they said, okay, Molly Brown is uh, is it. But then they didn't let – I believe that's when they stopped letting people uh, name spacecraft. Yeah. Uh, Ed White wanted to name the uh, Gemini 4 uh, American Eagle. But NASA said, nope, no more. That That's that's that. So heaven knows what would have happened if they let uh, Pete Conrad <laughs> name uh, Gemini 5. So. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Grissom and White. And, you know, Chaff- Chaffee flew. I, I know that he flew flights for uh, during the Cuban Missile, missile Crisis. He was doing uh, low-level um, uh, reconnaissance missions over Cuba at, you know, yards over uh, over over the skies of Cuba, wow! And uh, came back with uh, holes in the plane. So, um, you know, he was he was logging hundreds of hours doing that. And what a you know what an amazing man! None of these these people had faced fear many times before. I mean, Gus almost, that, Gus almost died, and you know, in yeah. the Mercury. Well, and Gus was a fighter pilot in Korea. He flew Sabres. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, so I always had a cool story about Gus. They said uh, um, well, over in Korea, when they would get into the deuce and a half truck to go out to the flight line, uh, out to their airplanes, that you were given um, only the combat vets who had been shot at got a chance to sit down. And it only took Gus two missions before he was able to sit down uh, because uh, that's how quickly he got into combat over there. Wow. Yeah, just an amazing crew, and you know, if anything, it, it underscores the the poignancy of the loss. Um, but I think if anybody, you know, if anybody had been in in that crew, it would it would really have wrecked the, the program uh, the way it did. I mean, it, and yeah, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it, though. It, it did put a put a big hold on on this. But well, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. But it, in many ways, this uh, this disaster helped make it possible to get to. Uh, the moon within uh, the the Kennedy uh, deadline, um, just simply because they have been going at this uh, the wrong way. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the <laughs> we're going to be pointing out all the nitpicking things, but one of the things that's going to that really bothers me on this is that view of uh, of the Apollo One uh, capsule. Uh, and you know, out there in the br- brilliant sunshine across the gantry, and that's not how Pad Thirty Four was set up. I, <laughs> I as a as a child, I took the I took the, the Cape Kennedy tour, and I can remember seeing Pad Thirty Four when it still had a, a gantry on it, and it was a great big, like an upside down U, and that the, the whole top of that capsule was you know, the, the 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 launch escape system there, and uh, the capsule and service module was all covered with a uh, a service structure that fit they kind of just wrapped around the whole thing it wasn't it wasn't out in broad daylight like that um but yeah it was uh, all it was all covered up and then the and the white room was sort of attached to it 
Right. That's, uh, that, that's right. Yeah. It was yeah. completely surrounded. And uh, I guess it's a forgivable thing because this is a rather cinematic looking image. So uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> let me get away with this one. But, we'll yeah, let them just, slide on this one. Yeah. <laughs> just, this, this is the first, first of many eye twitching moments. But hopefully there, there, there's not there's not that many of them, but well, I'll, I'll point them out and <laughs> get annoyed. <laughs> ah, wow. But uh, this brings us to the end of uh, minute one. So. Wow, that, um, that went fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, one thing we did want to check the le- the very last second of this, we're seeing the uh, uh, there's a view of the block one, the style uh, hatch that would be changed after the fire. Um, the the block one hatch was in three parts, and uh, it had this inner shell that was attached and really couldn't be removed easily. Uh, in flight, it took. I mean, not in flight, but it, once once you're inside, it took upwards of 90 seconds to get everything unhooked and unlatched, and um, it was it was outward opening like a like a commercial airliner that once once you put it in, you couldn't. If the pressure inside were greater than the pressure outside, it wasn't going to open, which was great if you're in space. But if you're trying to get it open in a hurry and you need to get out in an emergency, not possible. Right. Yeah. And that, of course, will will come into play later. And uh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the uh, the it, it, I guess it's important to note for the next episode. But it uh, yeah, the hatch is something that, um, you know, and we'll talk about throughout this whole thing, too, because uh, some of our guests were involved in some of the redesign of the hatch after this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's save that part for uh, for another another time. But uh, we, uh, I think we're uh, we're pretty well through uh, minute one. And uh, so far, so good, right, Chris? <laughs> That's right. We're still with us, and okay. uh, yeah, still, uh, still in range. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, uh, well, we will, uh, we will pick this up again tomorrow, and uh, discuss a little bit more about uh, Apollo One. Um, but thank you for joining us here. Uh, if you are looking for us online, uh, I'm hoping that you've decided to sign up for us on iTunes or on Google Play or wherever you're fine. Uh, podcasts are found please if you're going to itunes leave us a review and let uh let people know that you enjoy the show uh that always helps us find more people who are interested in uh, this particular movie uh join us on uh, apollo 13 minute.com where you can uh, catch up on future episodes and uh, leave comments about the current episodes we are also on facebook if you go to uh, apollo 13 minute mission control please join us there everybody can uh, join our discussions and we check on that a lot so uh, if you want to have some back and forth that's a great place to do it um, but we will return here tomorrow for minute two of the apollo 13 minute uh, looks like we lost the signal in 30 seconds so we'll catch you on the other side Have a great uh, night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow here on the Apollo 13. Have a good night.